This sermon was recorded as part of Grace City Church's series, A People Prepared, exploring the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesian Church. Thank you for listening, and we pray that this sermon encourages you in your faith. Alrighty, so it's so lovely to be here. This thing's a bit wobbly, hey? I do love our Together Church services. Um, I look forward to them all month. All month. It's, um, yeah, it's lovely to be together as family. Okay, today we are going to wrap up Paul's instruction on submission. He's in the middle of teaching us about six different relationships that exist in most Christian homes, and these six relationships all require submission, okay? Everyone in the body of Christ is going to find themselves somewhere on this list. Um, And Paul moves into this conversation of submission as part of a larger conversation, we've been looking at it for the last few weeks, about missional living, Um, We've learned over the past few weeks that believers are called by Scripture to get serious about living for Christ, by serving Him and by being witnesses in this world. And Paul adds things like, hey, the days are evil, you know, Uh, you've got to make the most of your short time here on earth. Um, And he tries to put this urgency and a focus into this conversation so that we don't waste time um, or opportunities or be swayed by things that get in the way. Um, And then last week, Mike started Um, this conversation on submission, and he spoke on uh, husbands and wives and the importance of submitting to each other. So today, I have got the privilege of sharing two uh, different relationships with you, children and parents and slaves and masters. So when when Mike phoned and asked if I would do this, um, I phoned Quint and I was like, oh, he wants me to talk on children and slaves. Seriously. And then Quinn's like, but what's the problem? You have children and I'm your slave. (laughs) So I was like, fine. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to start. They are very separate, okay? Um, But before we start, I just want to say that in case there are any adult children sitting here that are wondering uh, what kind of obligation they still have to their older parents, well, today I will use the word child a lot. And it is referring to someone who is under a parent's authority, okay? This whole conversation is about submission to someone who is your authority figure. And so a son, for example, is under their parent's authority until the day he leaves his mom and dad and marries his wife. Um, and at that point, he becomes um, the authority over his family. And the same goes for a daughter. She will be under her parent's authority until she gets married and then her husband, as we learned last week, will be authority. Our obligation to honor and obey our uh, honor and respect our parents never ends, okay? But your obligations to obey your parents end at marriage. Okay, so the scripture, I think it's going to go up, yeah. So it says, children, so we Ephesians 6, verse 1, children obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you and you will live a long life on earth. Okay, what I love about this verse is that in this letter that Paul has written, he's addressing the children directly. He seems concerned for them, you know, and we know that Paul had no family and if he was ever married, he was not married during his years of ministry. But you get this beautiful picture of children sitting in this place, listening to this letter being read out. And this fact is easy to overlook, but it's very significant. We are to remember that Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. This letter was to be read aloud, and his assumption was that children would be present to hear this letter. Because he says, children, obey your parents. 
You know, this has been the practice of church throughout history. Children, even small children, would sit in the assembly with their parents. They would sit under the word of whoever was preaching. They would learn to worship and pray alongside their parents. And it's actually not until quite recently uh, that we've sent our children off to a separate place. But that's a whole nother preach. <laughs> I just want to say to our children in this room, um, it is very important that you are here. You know, um, it's important for you to worship God, to sing to Him, to pray to Him. And I know, guys, that sometimes it can be a little bit boring, sorry, um, but I know that if, you, you know if you're faithful to it, you will grow in the things that God has for you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, David. Um, so the, the word here for children is not the same word for infant. Just by the way, there is a Greek word for infant. It is not this word. The Greek word for children is techna. I might not be saying it right, but that simply means offspring. So in other words, I will always be my parents' offspring despite my age. Ryan, Haley, and Jesse will always be my children, my offspring, okay? Um, it's, it was a common word to speak of believers or children of God, but it is not talking about infants. Children obey your parents is going to mean very little to your two-year-old, okay? So it is more for people who understand that this is a command coming from God, okay? It is essentially such a basic command, it makes a home work, it was so basic to the people of the Old Testament that it was given as one of the commandments. It was a directive given from the Lord to all children. The Lord himself has called us to obey, and it was given as an instruction on how to live. And when Moses was sharing the Ten Commandments, which came from God, he was establishing rules for them to live by. The first four define how God wants us to show us our love for him. And then this fifth commandment that tells us to honor our mother and father begins a series of six commandments that show us how to treat and love other people, starting from the earliest of years. So children, you have one duty, and that is to give your parents honor and obedience. And parents, you have one duty, and that is to discipline and raise your ch children in the instruction of the Lord. It sounds so simple, right? <laughs> but actually, it's how families should work when the Holy Spirit is in control of them. Last week, we learned about the submission, like I said, of husbands and wives, and now we are looking at the, children of sub, uh, the uh, submission of children to parents, because everybody submits to each other. That's what it says in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Obedience has been a common thread throughout the Bible. It's full of stories of obedience and disobedience, good choices and bad choices, and these are recorded to teach us and guide us and instruct us. So guys, when you're obeying your parents, you're really actually obeying God, because he is the one who commanded. It's like a little note in the Bible just for you guys. And parents, the Lord has sent us as spiritual authorities into the home, and we are called to give direction and correction as needed with our own children. And our goal is to create in our child a heart, a submitted heart and obedience um, so that even before we begin to teach them how to pray and how to read their Bibles, even before that becomes a priority in their walk, you have to start by teaching them to obey a parent without question. And it's a matter of training, you know. Let's be honest, if you've raised a child up to the age of two, you'll know that it's, you know, it takes a bit of training. So Ryan has always been a very obedient child. We've been very lucky with him. He's never, <laughs> he's never uh, given us any problems. Hey, I think that's fair to say. But I do have one little story. He was five years old, and I couldn't, we were living in South Africa, and I came home. I don't know where I'd been, but Ryan was sitting on the floor. Haley was sitting in front of him, and in front of Haley was a doll. 
and Ryan was cutting Haley's hair, and Haley was cutting the doll's hair. And Haley had very long, straight, I don't know where the curls have come from, very long, straight, beautiful hair, and he had cut it all off, basically. And so I, there was just hair everywhere, doll's hair, Haley's hair, and I lost the plot, I have to tell you. I screamed and shouted and sent them both to their rooms. Um, Haley went off and carried on playing dolls, she didn't really mind, but Ryan does, did not like being in trouble. And so I put myself in my bedroom, closed the door, and the next minute I just hear, Mom, it's me, I'm so sorry, can I come in? And I said, no, I need some time out. I said, go to your room. Knock, 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 please, Mom, I'm so sorry. No, Ryan, I just need some time. Anyway, the next minute I just hear, dear God, please take me to heaven so I don't have to be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> It's the only story that you've ever, it's the only time you've ever been that bad. <laughs> oh, anyway, shame. I also love that this verse comes with a promise. <laughs> I'm such a terrible parent. Um, a few weeks ago, Tamara, and she's given me permission to use the story, was in the car with David, I believe, and he asked her, you know, why do some people live a long life and other people don't? Like, how come, you know? And Tam said... You've got to honor your mom and dad and show them respect, and you will live a long life. <laughs> well done, tomorrow, because that is exactly what the scripture says. It says that you, they will live a long life. Obedient children will enjoy life because they will enjoy the blessing of God. Those that disobey, there will always be trouble and strife, broken relationships, and life is just harder. Honor your parents. You know, when I was writing this, my mom used to say things to me like, Kate, be careful how you speak to me because one day you're going to have children and they're going to speak to you like that. And you know, it's so true. And it's happened like this. I have children that do the same thing. And so one day you guys will have your own children and you will want them to honor you and respect you. There's the story I read the other day about this husband and wife who live together and the dad lives with them, an old man and their little five-year-old boy. And... Every night, this little old man sits at his table, and he's, his, he's going blind, and he shakes while he eats, and it's like knocks against the bowl and whatever. And the, the daughter-in-law was getting so mad and said to the husband, come on, you've got to do something. And so the dad moved the, the husband moved the dad to the corner of the room, and he said, you can sit there and eat from now on. And then this old man would sit every night, messing food all down him, but he would look longingly at the table and like wish he was sitting there. And then one night, he dropped his bowl, and it went all over the floor, and the daughter-in-law said, that's it. If you're going to eat like a pig, I'm going to treat you like a pig, and, we, and we're going to feed you out of a trough. And so a few days later, the man was walking outside, and his little boy was hammering wood, and he said, like, what are you doing? He goes, oh, no, I'm just making a trough for when you and mommy get, when I get older. <laughs> and so the next day, this little old man was back at the table, and nobody was ever being mean to him again. So respect and honor your parents, guys. Okay, the next verse, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. I just want to say, I know it says fathers, and in those days and now, fathers should be the spiritual head of the home, okay? And I realize that there might be some among us where that isn't the case. In my case, it was not. My dad, who I love very much, is not a believer, and so my mom was the spiritual head in my home. She brought my brother and I up in the instruction of the Lord, but God knows your circumstance. So before we get into this verse, I just want to quickly go back to the Old Testament and look at Deuteronomy 6 for a second. 
Here God is establishing his people in the land. He gives them this formula for life. And so from Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, he says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up, tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead, and your mouth. You all know that. I'm sure you most of you know the scripture, okay? But this is an instruction for us parents, okay? And God's plan hasn't changed. And this is how we should be teaching our kids. And now I have a little history lesson for you all. In the early church, the church that Paul was writing to in Ephesus, they would have followed the Old Testament uh, pattern from Deuteronomy, okay? They would have been familiar with the instructions of parenting from Deuteronomy or from the book of Proverbs. There are so many uh, verses on parenting in Proverbs. The one well-known one, train up, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. And the Jewish believers in every city would have known these Proverbs. They would have known what was required for Old Testament parenting. And I guess the Gentiles would have been really quick uh, to catch on to this. And they would want to have known this because in Paul's day, children were not thought of very highly. Um, there were some really, really abusive attitudes to children. So if you think child abuse is bad today, listen to this. There was a Roman law called the Patria Potestas in Latin. Translated to English, it means a father's power. The father had absolute control over life or death of his children. A Roman father had so much control over his family, he could sell any one of them as a slave. He could make them work in the fields and chains. Uh, he could take the law into his own hands or even uh, punish a, member, a family member uh, to the point of death. Um, and he had this right as long as he lived. There was no age limit to a father's power. Ancient literature describes that when a child was born, it was brought to its father's feet, and if the dad or the father picked it up and put it to its chest, it meant that the child would live. If, he, if the dad turned away and walked off, the child would be thrown away. I was just listening to John MacArthur recently, and he reads this letter that was found um, by an archaeologist the letter, the letter was written in 1 BC, and it comes from a man called Hilarion to his wife named Alice. And the letter has been translated into English, and this is what it reads. Heartiest greetings. Strange. Now that, know that we are still in Alexandria. Do not worry that if, when others return, I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech you, take care of the little child, and as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. Good luck to you, and if you have a child and it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, throw it out. And unwanted children were drowned or thrown out, left at hospitals. You guys get the picture. Okay, so that was the world of the New Testament era. And then through Paul, the Word of God brings this instruction, just as it did in the Old Testament. And when you provoke your children, it can make them angry and bitter and frustrated. And all that ends up happening is that kids leave and relationships are destroyed and let me tell you a few things that irritate my kids. <laughs> when I'm overprotective, Ryan wants to go skydiving. I'm like, not on my watch. <laughs> um, when I don't trust them, when I mock a decision that they've made, when I compare one over the other, when I say things that might be mean or nasty, I've done these things. And so I'm not going to give any of you parenting advice because I know that there are much better parents sitting in this room today. But what I will tell you is this. In our family, Quinn and I, we decided very early on that church would be a priority. 
My kids have never played a Sunday sport. They've missed out on rep trials because of it. And that was our decision, you know, no judgment. Like, the, I know what it's like in school sport and uh, club sport is a Sunday. But we just wanted them to learn from a young age that God and church had to be a priority. And next year, Ryan will go off into the big wide world, and I pray that these things will still be a priority no matter where he is. And so, friends, how do we raise our children? It all basically boils down to the last verse says, by bringing them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. We need to discipline our children with love and grace and forgiveness and instruct them in the ways of our Lord. It's simple. You teach them God's word and how God wants them to live. And when you've done all this and been faithful to that, then we've done all that we can, we can do. Okay. Slaves and masters. <laughs> okay. I'm going to give you another quick history lesson. Slavery in the ancient world involved ownership of people. <laughs> Kirsty, stop laughing. Um, Aristotle said, a slave is a living tool with a soul. By the time of the first century, about a third of all people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Ancient slavery was not racially driven, but it occurred due to social standing. Prisoners of wars became slaves, abandoned children, uh, poor people, you know, if they, they would either sell themselves or sell family members. However, slaves were seen um, as members of the master's household. In the ancient world, slave could achieve, slaves could achieve high social status, usually taking on social classes of their masters, and sometimes they were even more educated uh, than their masters. And then it was customary over time, if the master was kind enough, that they would be given their freedom. So as we look at the text, uh, we need to understand how Paul's teaching is so totally countercultural for that time. You know, like I said, they played a significant part in society, and we find ourselves in a situation when the gospel arrives and spreads through the ancient world, and a number of slaves and masters had become Christians, and the early church needed to move pretty quickly to deal with um, the issue of the relationship between masters and slaves. Paul's statement doesn't condemn or condone slavery. Instead, he just moves to tell masters and slaves how to live together in harmony, in perfect unity in a Christian household. And we can all appreciate and understand that slaves had very few rights. However, in the church, they found these freedoms that society didn't give, didn't give them. And so the passage begins with a clear command. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would Christ. And at first glance, I guess this command might seem a bit outdated and irrelevant to us, to our modern lives. But the message is applicable to all of us, you know, regardless of our work situation. You know, we don't all get to work with our best friends, hey, Kirst? The idea here is the importance of respecting those who are in positions of authority um, over us, whatever that looks like. Bosses, managers, supervisors, co-workers, sometimes with more experience. And beyond the practical benefits of respecting authority, there is also a deeper spiritual principle at work. You know, when we treat others with respect and kindness, we are demonstrating love, the love and compassion that God shows us. It's about shining a light in these situations, you know, showing Jesus through our actions and then reflecting our values and beliefs as a means of transforming our workplaces. The passage goes on to say, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will re reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. 
I often say to my kids, you know, if I've asked them to unpack the dishwasher or hang up the washing, you know, if you don't want to do it for me, do it for Jesus. You know, we are called to serve <laughs> wholeheartedly. <laughs> and if you are serving the Lord, do the job as if Jesus was your supervisor. Quint reminded me recently we had a plumber come around to the house, and at the end of the day, he gave us his business card, and it said, like, Joe Bloggs, plumber. And at the bottom, it said, um, owner, CEO, Jesus Christ. How many of us are doing the day-to-day as if we were reporting to Jesus as our CEO? And I think this verse is a powerful reminder that our ultimate motivation for doing good work should be to please God and not people. You know, not to impress bosses or, you know, we need to acknowledge that all we have is a gift from God. And then finally, the passage gives us instruction, gives instruction to masters or employers saying, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favorites. You know, those in position of authority have a responsibility to treat uh, those working with them or for them with respect and fairness. You know, they shouldn't use threats or intimidation. And this message is clear. We are called to treat others with respect and kindness regardless of our position in life. Whether we are employees or employers or leaders or followers, you know, we should try to create a culture of mutual respect and support no matter what. The reality is that although Christians may be on different levels here on earth, you know, CEOs or whatever, we are all equal before God. He does not have favorites. Okay. Phew. I realize like these scriptures are a little bit more of an application on how to live and an encouragement, but they are both issues of the heart and they both point to our relationship with Jesus. And as Mike explained last week, these relationships that Paul speaks about are here for us to learn um, and essentially, it's all part of God's master plan to bring all things together in unity under him. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. To engage with Grace City Church further, please check out our website, gracecitychurch.net, where you can find links to our socials. Or come visit us in person. All are welcome. God bless.